Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa delivers his State of a Nation address and Amnesty International accuses Somalia's government of harassing journalists. In economics news, South Africans urge not to succumb to the challenges of ailing economy and in sports news, Chinese Grand Prix and Hong Kong Sevens add to Asia's sports calendar chaos. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Protesters in Malawi have padlocked the offices of the Electoral Commission in an effort to force its head to quit after the Constitutional Court annulled last year's presidential election. Hundreds of demonstrators marched to the Commission's offices in the commercial capital Blantyre and locked its entrance gates with large rusty change, uh, chains. Thousands of people did the same in the capital Ilongwe, handing over the padlock key to an army officer. The court found serious irregularities in the poll, including the use of correction fluid on tally sheets. The UN Refugee Agency says about 8,000 people have fled from Cameroon into Nigeria in the past two weeks because of an upsurge in violence. The UNHCR says the refugees had tracked through Savannah and forests to reach Nigeria. Fighting between Anglophone separatists and the security forces fled during elections held on Sunday. More than 600,000 people have been displaced and about 3,000 killed during the conflict, which started in October 2017. South Africa's Home Affairs Department has invited a group of individuals challenging the current Citizenship Act in the Constitutional Court to prove their citizenship. Lawyers from the group argued that the current act takes away their citizenship, even though they were born to South African parents outside South Africa before 2013, when the current act came into force. They also argued that they acquired South African citizenship by descent under the previous statutes. The lawyers want the Constitutional Court to confirm an order of the High Court, which found sections of the Act unconstitutional and invalid. The department's lawyer, Simon Mangolele. All the applicants have to do its proof that they were citizens. And if they were born of a South African citizens, I submit that they would be covered, provided they furnish proper and authentic proof of their citizenship since they were born outside uh, the Republic prior to the coming into effect of uh, this current act. Sudan has signed a deal to compensate the families of 17 American soldiers who died when the ship, the USS Cole, was bombed in Yemen 20 years ago. Al-Qaeda said its militants used a boat packed with explosives in the attack. The BBC's Mary Harper reports. Sudan is desperate to be removed from the U.S. list of state sponsors of terrorism, and this is a key condition. A U.S. court originally ordered Sudan to pay $300 million in compensation, but the amount agreed is understood to be significantly less. The U.S. ruled Sudan was responsible for the attack because the two suicide bombers on the dinghy were trained in the country, an allegation denied by Khartoum. U.S. Attorney General William Barr has criticized President Donald Trump, saying Trump undercuts him by tweeting, making it impossible for him to do his job. His criticism comes amid intense scrutiny of the Justice Department over the handling of a case involving Roger Stone, a convicted former advisor to the president. The Attorney General had been accused of buying to presidential pressure. Barr spoke to ABC News Channel. I'm not going to be bullied or influenced by anybody, and I said at the time, whether it's Congress, newspaper, editorial boards, or the president, I'm going to do what I think is right. 
and I cannot do my job here at the department uh, with a constant background commentary that, that undercuts me. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to pass. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Channel Africa, the African perspective. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of a Nation address was delayed by more than an hour and a half last night. This is as the EFF objected to the presence of former President F.W. de Klerk in the House and demanded that Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon be fired. After about an hour of points of order, the presiding officers temporarily adjourned the House. When the House resumed, the EFF walked out. Joseph Musia reports from Cape Town. The EFF entered the National Assembly singing freedom songs in their trademark red uniforms. They remained seated as processions of provincial premiers and speakers entered the house when the rest of the members rose and clapped. They only stood for the judiciary and resumed their seats again when the deputy president and president entered the chamber. Party leader Julius Malema rose to his feet as soon as Mudise started speaking. We have a, a man who's got blood of innocent people in this house which is supposed to represent the wills of our people and therefore it is incorrect for you to have extended an invitation to the clerk because the clerk is a murderer the clerk has got blood on his hands the people of Buipatung are turning in their graves and the clerk said that crime was you apartheid was not crime against humanity it's an unrepentant apologist of apartheid. The speaker ruled against Malema's suggestion, but then member after member of the party rose on the same point of order. Other parties raised their objections to the EFF being allowed to delay the proceedings. DA Chief Whip Natasha Mazzoni and Kone Mulder of the FF Plus. Um, in terms of 14K, it describes exactly what grave disorder is. And given the fact that the party calling points of order and disrupting the House at present made it very clear that they had every intention of disrupting the proceedings for tonight, 14K comes into play because it now refers to grave disorder in the House. Chair, I would ask you to once again protect the rights of the majority of the members in this House and let us have our constitutional right to hear the sonar addressed by the President. What the honourable members of the EFF don't know, it seems, is that in 1994 there was an election where all South Africans participated, all South Africans, and in that election, Mr. de Klerk was elected one of the deputy presidents of South Africa. And he served, he served... He you served, are protect, honourable Mulder. He served as a member of parliament after 1994 as a deputy president of South Africa. So the president that you have set is the correct one, and I suggest that we proceed with the business of the House. In the end, the speaker prevailed, and they moved from this point. But just as the president started speaking, new party spokesperson Vuyani Pambo stood on a point of order. Today we sit here with a minister can, can that is can, working for white monopoly capital, can, making can, sure can, that can, the state-owned entities can, go can, to his friends. We call out of for order. an adjournment that the president must go order. outside and make sure that he makes an announcement to the nation of member, can please that Pravin Kodan is no longer point a minister of, of this country. In the end, the speaker prevailed and they moved from this point. But just as the president started speaking, new party spokesperson Vuyani Pambo stood on a point of order. 
Today we sit here with a minister that is working for white monopoly capital, making sure that state-owned entities go to his friends. We call for an adjournment that the president must go outside and make sure that he makes an announcement to the nation that Pravin Godan is no longer a minister of this country. On this point too, the presiding officers overruled the EFF. Another long session of points of order ensued. In the end, the speaker briefly adjourned the session. Shortly after the House had resumed and it looked like they might shortly after the House had resumed and it looked like they might be thrown out, the EFF decided to leave the House on their own accord. ANC spokesperson Pulemavi said they hope Parliament's presiding officers will tighten the rules even further to ensure no disruptions in future. The ANC is going to do everything in its power as a governing party to make sure that this August House is respected and that those elected as public representatives in this House are accorded the necessary space to be able to outline to the nation the priorities that are necessary to construct a better South Africa. What the sins we have seen today work to undermine that very democratic dispensation. We must thank all of the political parties that are inside, especially the ones that have decided to be on the right side of history, to have ensured that they do everything else in their power for this state of the nation's address to be delivered under conducive environment. Spokesperson for South Africa's ruling ANC, Bule Mabe, ending that report by Joseph Musia in Parliament. The EFF has defended its decision to disrupt President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of a Nation address, saying its actions were democratic. The disruption began with EFF leader Julius Malema rising on a point of order, saying former President F.W. de Klerk should not be allowed in the House as he is a murderer. Malema spoke on the steps of the National Assembly building after he and his party members staged a walkout ahead of Ramaphosa's speech. Creating a wrong impression that the country is going well is misleading and disingenuous. And the EFF is not going to be part of such nonsense. We have said to the president, fire Pravin and fire Pravin now. We have made our point. We can't sit under the same roof with Pravin. We can't sit under the same roof with Ditlerk. Cyril Ramaphosa should know that this is going to be our relationship going forward. Anyone who doesn't want to hold ministers accountable, who doesn't want to be held accountable, will never receive respect of the EFF. This parliament is an activist parliament. It's a parliament where all types of issues, including uncomfortable issues, must be raised irrespective of what is the occasion. If you want a proper occasion, a normal occasion, normalize South Africa. Our sisters are going to lose jobs in SAA. Our fathers, our brothers, our mothers are going to lose jobs in ESCOM. Our brothers are going to lose jobs in denial, in Transnet, because of one man who doesn't have capacity to run state-owned enterprises. And because he is the one who raised money for the president in London during his campaign when he wanted to be the ANC president, he has become untouchable. The president is scared of Praveen. That's why all of us, we reach consensus that Praveen and Jabu Mabuza misled the president. Yet one person is gone. The other one is remaining because he's untouchable. The EFF touches the untouchables. We go where no one wants to go. And that's what we did today. And we're very proud of these soldiers of economic freedom fighters who are never scared, who raised issues sharply. We also want to thank the presiding officers for their tolerance and for their understanding that this is an activist parliament. Robust issues must be raised. Irrespective of irritation, you ought to listen to each and every member, irrespective of which political party they come from. The attitude of Cyril will determine whether we'll come to a debate, whether we'll sit in his reply of this state of the nation address. Pravin must go, otherwise Cyril will be treated the same way Jacob Zuma was treated. We are about accountability. If it was Mbalula, if it was Malusi Kigaba, if it was any African 
presiding over public enterprise with such a bad performance that African would have been fired. The white monopoly capital would have come in, the media would have come in and said, this person is, does not have capacity because he's an African. But because he's Jamnandas, he's untouchable, they enjoy privileges of being closer to the president and representing the interest of white monopoly capital. The fight against white monopoly capital starts now and it will be rolling throughout the year. Cyril must decide if he wants a peaceful parliament or he wants his friend Praveen. He must choose between peace in parliament and Praveen. Thank you very much. At CFF leader Julius Malema speaking on the steps of the National Assembly building after he and his party members staged a walkout ahead of President Ramaphosa's speech. Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged South Africans not to succumb to the challenges presented by the ailing economy, saying these should be confronted with resolve and action. Speaking during his State of a Nation address on Thursday, Ramaphosa has outlined what will be government's priorities for the year. Busi Chimombe reports. President Cyril Ramaphosa said it is critical that South Africa improve the state of its finances. By working with the Auditor General to reduce irregular expenditure, by shifting government spending from consumption expenditure to investment in infrastructure, we aim to improve the state of our public finances. National Treasury and the Reserve Bank are working together to ease pressure on business and consumers. We have decided to establish a sovereign wealth fund as a means to preserve and grow the national endowment of our nation, giving practical meaning to the injunction that the people shall share in the country's wealth. Measures were announced to accelerate land redistribution and expand agricultural production, including tabling a bill that will outline the circumstances under which expropriation of land without compensation will be permissible and the release of 700,000 hectares of land for farming this year. We are prioritizing youth, women, people with disabilities, and those who have been farming on communal land and are ready to expand their operations for training and allocation of land. A new beneficiary selection policy includes compulsory training for potential beneficiaries before land can be allocated to them. In a bid to help even the playing field for small businesses and emerging entrepreneurs, Ramaphosa said there will be interventions to cut data costs. The competition authorities are now working towards a resolution with the large mobile operators to secure deep cuts to data prices across prepaid monthly bundles. Now, additional discounts targeted at low-income households, a free daily allocation of data and free access to educational and other public investment website is going to also happen. With regards to education, it was announced that nine new colleges would be built from this year. Investments in primary education will also be made. Our early reading programs are gathering momentum. This year we will be introducing coding and robotics in grade R to 3 in 200 schools with a plan to introduce this on a more universal basis in 2022. We have decided to establish a new university of science and innovation in Ekurulein. Ministers who will be charged with giving life to these commitments will be signing performance management contracts before the end of the month in an effort to promote a culture where public officials are held accountable. 
We see this performance agreement as the cornerstone of a new culture of transparency and accountability where those who are given the responsibility to serve, whether as elected office bearers or public servants, do so as expected of them. It is a culture where corruption, nepotism and patronage are not tolerated and action is taken against those who abuse their power or steal public money. That's South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa ending that report by Busi Chimombe in Parliament. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Interim leader of South Africa's main opposition party, the DA, John Steenhuysen, says President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of a Nation address did not quite hit the mark. For more reaction, here's the SABC's Samgele Maseko. Now we do have uh, Kenneth Mesh, uh, who is with the ASADB. I'm just going to throw straight to him. What did you take out of the president's speech tonight, particularly on the issues around the economy, state-owned enterprises? The most important thing that we appreciated that came from the president's speech tonight was for him to say municipalities that are pro- doing well with their finances will be allowed to procure power directly from IPPs. Now we know that the independent power producers have not been given the right to sell directly to the municipality. So we believe that that's one of the best things that he said tonight. And as you you know, that there was an applause from both sides of the house because we all welcomed that. Now, obviously, he said also a number of things about how he's going to try to improve the economy, but details were not given. This one was very specific, and we hope that it will be done the next few months because ESCOM should not stop growth should not stop businesses that are improving because of power failures. So what the president said has been greatly welcomed by the ACDP and obviously on the issue of crime he hasn't said much. We know that crime also inhibits growth because investors are not coming. Investors want to go to a place where is stability and crime obviously ensures that there is no political stability and so we are ensuring as the ACDP that the president is going to be held accountable and, and that the, the demonstrations that are very violent and that are always taking place, that are chasing people away, that they must be taken care of. And he didn't say anything about that, which is a concern to the ACDP, because we want stability in the country and policy certainty. As you know, that many investors want to ensure that they are sure about government policy because before they invest. But in general, he has done much better than we have expected tonight. Thank you very much, Mr. Mashua. We're just going to throw to my colleague, Asanda, who's with the DA interim leader, John Stienhazen. Thank you very much. Mr. Sienhuizen, the president spoke clearly on ESCOM, on, on independent power producers, but also about the issue of jobs, specifically with more mention for young people. What's the DA's take around those issues? Yeah, well, I think on the ESCOM, I don't think he went nearly far enough. And certainly we welcome uh, his pronouncement around uh, allowing municipalities to procure power directly. I think that's a step in the right direction. It's a DA suggestion, and I'm glad it's been adopted. Uh, but in terms of dealing with ESCOM, throwing trillions of rands worth of public service pensions into the dark hole that is Eskom without a proper reform plan I think is absolute madness. You're not going to be able to breathe life into Eskom. The model is wrong. It needs to be changed fundamentally. We need to completely free the country and give power back to people, uh, not to, uh, to do it through a state-owned entity. And I think that uh, hanging on to Eskom like this is a nod towards the factions in his own party rather than the best interests of the country. In terms of jobs, a lot of virtuous ends again announced tonight. We've had them in every sona. Uh, the focus on youth unemployment is welcome, but very few concrete steps about how you would unleash the private sector to help incentivize the private sector to help how you would use tax incentives for instance to encourage them to bring in school leavers to be able to give them the schools government's never going to be able to train enough people to be absorbed into work you need to partner with the private sector to make it happen Uh, so uh, some good ideas but not nearly bold or uh, far reaching enough to be able to do the trick I'm afraid this evening so we're going to keep this moving right to my colleague Bulelani well thank 
Thanks so much, Sander. A lot of talking points are coming out of that State of the Nation address. We're going to jump straight into it and invite Dr. Peter Grunewald, who is the leader of the Freedom Front Plus. Firstly, I want to say, it's a pity to say, but I think our president is a lame duck. He didn't really come forward with good proposals to first ensure that we have good economic growth and to create jobs. On the safety issue, we welcome the specialized units as far as construction uh, is concerned, but we also say, why only now? We also ask for specialized units for farmers. We also said that we must have specialized units for murder and robbery in South Africa because the people are unsafe. Those are the crucial areas for specialized units. Furthermore, if you look at the speech, it's nothing else that cosmetics about referring to the youth. He is still continuing with the NHI. He is still continuing with expropriation without compensation. He is not going to build the economy. On ESCOM, a positive thing there is that a, a, a private uh, power producers will be able to supply electricity and municipalities will be allowed to obtain uh, from those uh, PPPs some electricity. That's positive, but it's not enough. As Freedom Front Plus leader Peter Groenewald speaking after President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of the Nation address in the South African Parliament. Now, the full State of the Nation speech is on our website at www.channelafrica.co.za. For full details, go onto the website from an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Amnesty International says a surge in violent attacks, threats, harassment and intimidation of media workers is entrenching Somalia as one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a journalist. In a new report titled, We Live in Perpetual Fear, the organization documents dramatic uh, deterioration in the right to freedom of expression and media freedom since President Mohamed Abdullahi Famajo took office in February 2017. For more on this report, Ntlantla Matlangu spoke to Amnesty International researcher for Somalia, Abdullahi Hassan. This report by Amnesty International today, entitled We Live in Perpetual Fear, is a report that documents violations uh, against freedom of expression and media freedom in Somalia since President Farmaju took office in uh, 2017. Uh, and the findings are that authorities uh, at the federal level and other regional, regional states and al-Shabaab have uh, violated uh, the rights of uh, to freedom of expression and media freedom, uh, including by uh, killing journalists, uh, physically attacking journalists, uh, you know, and carrying out arbitrary arrests and uh, detentions. Uh, it also documents new techniques employed by the uh, current administration to bribe media outlets and to use sophisticated uh, social media surveillance uh, in that uh, they created uh, social media monitors who are monitoring discussions on social media, uh, particularly Facebook and Twitter, uh, we found that 16 accounts of, uh, you know, 16 Facebook accounts uh, have been disabled since 2018. 13 of those accounts belong to journalists uh, who told Amnesty International that they have previously posted uh, stories and uh, information that's critical of, gov- of the government. So these issues uh, led to censorship, uh, particularly in the past two years, and uh, it forced at least eight journalists to flee the country. Uh, those are the main findings of the report. And these journalists, are these investigative journalists or are they just general uh, reporters who get to cover any all other stories? Would you know? Uh, yeah, so this is generally uh, all journalists actually operating in uh, in Somalia, particularly in South Central and, and Puntland. Uh, so these uh, journalists are not mainly uh, investigative journalists but they are uh, normal journalists who are carrying out the activities. 
uh, authorities seem to be very sensitive uh, on particular issues, uh, especially on issues relating to uh, security. For example, uh, journalists have been blocked from reporting on al-Shabaab attacks and uh, crucial triggers because government doesn't seem to be uh, it doesn't want to be seen uh, to be failing uh, in the war against al-Shabaab, for example. The government does not want uh, stories around corruption reported or violations of human rights. So when journalists try to cover this kind of stories, they, uh, the authorities are trying to block them from doing so. And uh, at times, uh, these journalists are physically attacked. For example, they are shot at, uh, including uh, in one instance where a police officer shot one journalist in the head. Uh, and we found uh, in most cases there are no investigations uh, and individuals who are um, violating the rights of these journalists are not held accountable. And has the government in Somalia responded to this report and what is your appeal to authorities there? Uh, yes, so uh, before we published the report we sent a summary you know, summary of the findings of the report uh, and uh, attached questions related to specific findings uh, we found. Uh, we uh, got responses from the government and um, uh, they basically deny uh, the allegations uh, in the report, although uh, they, uh, but they don't provide uh, more information uh, to disprove uh, what we found. Uh, they also issued a statement uh, after the launch of the report today, a public statement, uh, again, uh, basically denying uh, the findings of the report. That was Amnesty International researcher for Somalia, Abdullahi Hassan, on the line speaking to Ntlantla Matlangu. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms, on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms, on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms, on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. At 7.34 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Researchers are continuing to monitor participants of the HVTN702 trial in South Africa following last week's announcement that the HIV candidate vaccine that was tested has proven to be ineffective. 
According to Community Liaison Officer Cynthia Mpongo, who works at the Emma Vundleni Clinical Research Site in Cape Town, participants are also not losing hope and are still willing to be monitored even though the vaccine will no longer be administered. Mpongo spoke to Channel Africa about the reaction of the over 400 participants enrolled at Emma Vundleni, one of the 14 research sites of the large-scale trial conducted across the country. I'm the first person to interact with the participant. And as much as I am employed by the site, the research site, I represent more the needs of the community and the site. And it is my responsibility to like, uh, simplify the scientific language to the community. And that is it. When you say the community, do you mean the participants or the community at large which the participants come from? The community at large, because in order for the participants to be able to come to the studies, the community needs to be prepared and understand what the research is about so that there is a buy-in. Because without the buy-in that is the gatekeepers, then people will not understand and they will not approve whether the study should continue. Now, you work at Emma Wundlene's site, which is one of the 14 clinical research sites of the HVTN702 trial. So tell us about the participants you engage with. How have they reacted to the announced finding that the HIV candidate vaccine that was tested has proven to be ineffective? The participants react more in a positive way. Because when we first engage with them, explaining them what the research is about, we make them understand. And when they sign the consent form, it explains clearly that when the participants feel that they need to get out of the study at any given time, because it's their bodies and it's their time that they come to the site. So they've got every right to be out of the study. And then the research process at large is explained. And then it is explained that within research, whatever that they are doing, it's still under investigation. And to make sure that they come and get the results, that we all do not know because the study is blinded, meaning that nobody knows who is getting the placebo or who is getting the actual vaccine. So they do understand. So they appreciated that it's clear, it's honest, and they were the first people to get the news before it gets to the media, because that is actually the purpose. And that's what we told them initially, that whatever that happens throughout the study, while you are in the study and participating, or if ever the results are successful or not successful, you'll be the first people to know. So the response was positive as much as it was said for both the participants and the site, because when they participate in any study, there is a hope for an actual vaccine to be available. Let's expand on your last point, that participants were also hopeful that the vaccine would actually work. Now, I'm thinking about those who have gotten HIV. I mean, we know that all the over 5,000 participants were HIV negative when they were enrolled in the study in 2016. But now 129 of those who got the actual vaccine have tested HIV positive. Has this not left them confused? I mean, do they understand that the infection has nothing to do with them getting the vaccine shot? When they are tested HIV positive, and remember that not only in particular our side, but nonetheless, we do meet all the sites that are doing this protocol HVTN702. The participants understand the risk behaviors. They do get to be informed about using the condom, all things about safety. But unfortunately, no one has got any way to control what a person does. And when they are told that they're sort of converted, I mean, they changed from HIV negative to HIV positive, they do understand as much as it's painful, but nonetheless, they are referred to those places where they can get care. So they do understand that it is not about the site, but it is about behavior. I'm not sure if you can speak for all participants across the 14 sites. So maybe based on the participants at your site, Emma Vundleni, are they still keen to continue working with researchers and being monitored? Judging from the number of participants who came on the very first day, to call them for the results. Out of the number, in our site, we had 498 participants that are still part of the study. And those participants, we had 109 bearing in mind that they were only informed over the weekend.
come to the site and we are following them up. We are giving them the results daily as they come to the site. So it means that they do want to know and they are keen. They even ask now that this study is not working like this vaccine has been proven to be not working. Is there any other study that we can take part in? So we do tell them that for now you are still going to continue with this study. And unfortunately, you cannot be in any study regardless of whether this study has been proven to be non-efficient or what, because until the protocol is closed, until the study is closed, because what they're going to do now, because the protocol is going to change on how the visits are going to be, bearing in mind that, remember that you spoke about the vaccination Mm. that is being removed. So the protocol needs to change. So we need to reconsent all the participants who are in the site. They are keen. That's Cynthia Mpongo, Community Liaison Officer at Emma Vundleni Clinical Research Site in Cape Town, speaking to Jane Rabutata. It's 7.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our South Africa is this week marking National Pregnancy Week. The annual event is used to strengthen pregnancy education and stress the important issues that promote healthy pregnancy and safe motherhood. To discuss the link between diabetes and pregnancy, we are joined on the line by Dr. Alicia McMaster, country medical head of the pharmaceutical company Sanofi. Dr. McMaster, good, me- good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, morning, Lily. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Now, does pregnancy increase the likelihood of diabetes? Lily, when we look at pregnancy and diabetes, we need to understand that there's almost two separate cohorts of patients. So the one patient is a patient who already had diabetes and then fell pregnant. And then you get uh, another cohort of patients where the female did not have diabetes before she fell pregnant. And then during the second and third trimester, she developed diabetes. So that is called gestational diabetes. Now, the reason why that happens is when um, a woman is pregnant, obviously her body produces a whole lot of hormones. And some of those hormones almost work against insulin. Now, insulin is a hormone that makes sure that when we take in sugar, the sugar goes from the blood into the cells of the body and that the cells can have the energy to fulfill their function. So with this counteraction then between the the pregnancy hormones and the, the insulin, a small cohort of patients then develop diabetes. So it's not everyone. It's important to know not every woman that falls pregnant will develop diabetes, but there's certain risk factors like if someone in your family already had diabetes before or if you had diabetes in a previous pregnancy, if you are overweight, certain racial groups have a higher tendency to develop diabetes during pregnancy. So it's just important to know what your risks are and to know that the doctor will monitor you for um, diabetes while you are pregnant. Now, does the diabetes uh, affect the unborn child in any way? Yes. So when the mom then develops diabetes during pregnancy, some of that sugar that the mother has, the excessive sugar that the mother has in her blood also passes through the placenta and goes to the baby. Now, one of the biggest complications that we see there is that the baby becomes very big because now this baby gets all this sugar and the baby's pancreas produces insulin the whole time. Now, when you just hear the baby is big, then you won't think that there's a lot of complications associated with that. But then when the baby is born, obviously because this is a big baby, there's a potential for complications during the delivery. Many moms then have to get a cesarean section instead of having normal vaginal delivery of the baby. And then also other complications like preterm delivery. The mother can develop um, hypertension, and because of the hypertension and the diabetes, the baby needs to be delivered early. So then there's the complications that the baby's lungs aren't yet um, fully mature and the baby can have those complications as well when born. So definitely there's complications for both the mother and the baby. However, that being said, if the mother develops the diabetes and she's well managed and the blood glucose level is kept under control, those complications are then also kept at bay. And just speaking of uh, gestational uh, diabetes, 
it happens that uh, most of the time it happens that uh, it's during the pregnancy only and afterwards um, the mother doesn't have any diabetes, everything goes to normal. Yes, so that's specifically the thing with diabetes. So it's because of those pregnancy hormones. So the moment the baby is born, then the hormonal level in the mother's body also stabilizes. So then suddenly the body can become normally sensitive to insulin again. So it reverses. However, if the mother had gestational diabetes, she is at an increased risk of developing diabetes later in her life. So she must look at her lifestyle then, make sure that she does not gain excessive weight, that she eats healthy because she has a higher risk than a woman who never had uh, diabetes during pregnancy. Dr. McMaster, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We have run out of time and unfortunately we have to leave it there for now. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's uh, Dr. Alicia McMaster, country medical head of the pharmaceutical company Sanofi, joining us on the line. It is 7.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoko. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. A very good morning. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged South Africans not to succumb to the challenges that the ailing economy has presented, saying there should be confrontation with resolve and action. South Africa's economy is growing below 1%, making it even less likely to create jobs to reduce the high unemployment, which is now sitting at 29% and is expected to increase this year. Speaking during his State of the Nation address in the National Assembly last night, Ramaphosa outlined government's priorities for the year. So this State of the Nation address is therefore about inclusive growth. It is about the critical actions that we need to take this year to build a capable state and place our economy on the path of recovery. This year, we fix the fundamentals. We pursue critical areas of growth, and we ensure excellence in planning and execution in government. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, says it does not expect to implement load shedding. The power utility has not implemented rolling power outages over the past two days due to a number of improvements on the power system. Eskom spokesperson Skunati Manjanja. No load shedding is expected to be implemented. Breakdowns are just at over 10,500 megawatts and we do have sufficient capacity to generate without implementing load shedding. However, we do urge customers to continue using electricity sparing. Nigeria's central bank has introduced longer-term contracts on the Naira in a move to attract more foreign inflows, shore up dwindling dollar reserves and stave off a currency devaluation. Central Bank Governor Godwin Mefiele last month said that no adjustment of the Naira was planned and that the bank would continue to sustain the value of the currency, even though its dollar reserve was shrinking. He has kept the Naira stable. Mozambique's gross domestic product grew 2.3% year-on-year in the fourth quarter of 2019 versus 2.1% growth in the previous quarter. The Statistics Office of Mozambique says the economy of the southern African nation grew 2.2% last year. Sudan's annual inflation rate hit 64.28% in January from 57.1% in December 
due to rising food and drink prices. Sudan's economy was hit hard when the south of the country seceded in 2011, costing it three-quarters of its oil output, a crucial source of foreign currency. Inflation soared in recent years driven by food, beverages and a black market for U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 362.28 Nigerian Nara, 10.82 Botswana Pula, 99.85 Kenyan Shilling, and 14.68 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.34 Brazilian roll, 63.46 Russian ruble, 71.21 Indian rupee, 6.97 Chinese yuan, and 14.89 to the South African rand. 76 pence to the British pound, 92 cents to the euro, gold $1,574, platinum $970 pounds, brand crude oil $56.33 a barrel. From an African perspective. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First in our sports update, the deadly COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak is causing chaos across Asia's sporting calendar. Some of the continent's most prestigious sports events, including Formula One's Chinese Grand Prix and Hong Kong Rugby Sevens, have been postponed. Although Tokyo has pledged that this year's 2020 Olympics, due to begin on the 24th of July, will go ahead as planned. The Chinese Formula One Grand Prix in Shanghai on the 19th of April was recently postponed after the governing body, FIA, took advice from its partners in China to ensure the health and safety of the traveling staff, championship participants and fans. The Chinese Formula E Grand Prix on the southern island of Hainan on the 21st of March has been scrapped. Meanwhile, Sevens World Series rugby tournaments in Hong Kong on the 3rd to the 5th of April and Singapore the following weekend have been postponed. The Singapore tournament will now take place on the 10th and the 11th of October and Hong Kong a week later on the 16th and 18th of October, concluding the 10-stop World Series. After smashing the 10-kilometer of Dubai Marathon on 26th of last month, South Africa's 2019 Comrades Marathon champion Gerda Stein revealed that some of her 2020 plans include the 14th edition of the world's fastest half-marathon, Ras al Khaima Rak, to be held in Al-Majan Island next week the 21st of February. Stain, who is currently enjoying the peak of her running career, points out that she took a decision of putting more work on a short-distance race, which she believes will be beneficial later in her career. She added that the Dubai victory boosts her confidence ahead of a busy schedule. Uh, yes, it was a great race. Um, I was very happy with the win, but mostly um, I was very happy about my time because um, I improved my previous personal best by quite a bit. So that was really, really good. And um, I loved the race. It was um, incredible and very well organized. But yes, it was also ha- I was also happy for it to be over because that means I could spend a lot of time at home. It does give you confidence and it just reminds you, you know, that uh, why you work hard and um, that on the day when it pays off like that, it does definitely give you a lot of confidence. Proteus batsman Temba Wavuma has highlighted the importance of South Africa capitalizing on their series advantage when they host England in the second 2020 international in Kingsmead in Durban this evening. Yeah, look, we can take all the learnings we can from, from this game, um, from yesterday's game. Um, but it will be important that we, we rock up in Durban. You know, um, all the confidence, momentum. Yes, we um, we take it into the Durban game, but understand that it's another game, a game that will present probably different challenges, and it will be important that we that we rock up. You know, we don't want a situation where we go to Centurion um, one-one. Um, I think you know we've we've probably got the, the upper hand on the English side at this point in time. So it will be important that we use um, the advantage that we have and not allow them to to get back into the series. 
tennis news as we wrap up. South African rising star Kolo Monzi has cruised into the African Junior Championship final, threshing Toki Ranaivo of Madagascar 6-3 and 6-4 at the Tax Tennis University of Pretoria. A third-seeded Ranaivo fought bravely, but Monzi kept up the pressure with deep shots and quick footwork to fend off any threat. In the final, the South African top seed will face his Australian Open doubles partner, Eliakim Kolibali of Ivory Coast, who flew past Tunisia's Wissam Abderanam. Six love, six two. Kolibali, seeded number two, produced a Cincinnati display of attacking tennis to beat the Tunisian to secure a place in the final. That's the sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, Rise and Shine at the Sawa. South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa delivers State of a Nation address. And Amnesty International accuses Somalia's government of harassing journalists. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumusu Ramagadza and Tutongobeni, technical producer Wiseman Mangale and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Jabu Kanyile with a song titled Sponky Ponky.
Mama, I'm a single, no, no, no. 